That's a groovy button. What does it say? Um, uh, good afternoon. My name is Lester Cheatham of the law firm of Dewey, Cheatham, and Howe, and I have been retained as legal counsel for episode 15 of the Texas Prairie Chicken Home Companion Monkeys podcast. We are here to issue a preemptive apology for anyone who may be offended by dialogue coming up in this particular podcast, specifically those people who are uh, offended by the words Wax Minute, Peter Plug, Ritson, Williams, Bigley, Nesmith, Dolans, and any other words like that. We uh, issue a parental advisory right now, and if you are offended by these words, Please change the channel now. I thank you. Uh, uh, Mr. Cheatham, can we start now? Uh, yes, sir. You may begin. You, you, you see that button right there? The big red button? Yes, mash that button and you may begin. Uh, okay, uh, Alan, you're closer. You hit that button for me, please. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the fabulous 15th, can you believe it, 15th episode of the Texas Prairie Chicken Home Companion, a monkey's what? Podcast. That's right. How are you, old friend? I'm doing fine, my friend. For those of you who don't know us, and you should know us by now, because God knows we've been doing this for, what, a year and a half? I am El... El Who is this? El Diablo Williams. And I am just plain old Al Bigley. Al, quote, too tired to think of a nickname, quote, Bigley. (laughs) Yes, and uh, we'd like to thank our new legal legal counsel, Mr. Cheatham, uh, for preparing that statement. Uh, This one's going to be a wild one, I can tell. Does he have to sit there and watch us like that with his finger like close to that button? Yeah, unfortunately, yeah, the it cease and desist orders that we've gotten from people, yeah, we kind of have to watch what we're going to say. You know, the the uh, Ladies' Aid Society has been on our case again. I mean, I thought I, I very, uh, very intelligently used the uh, cuckoo sound in past episodes when he did, especially when you talk about a certain editor of a certain magazine. You mean Jan Winter? Yeah. There we go again. Oh, he's turning <laughs> white as a sheet over there. Boy, it's all right. It's all right, Mr. Cheatham. I will not use the phrase hashtag F Yon Winner. Boy, he's shaking. That's something. <laughs> yeah. he, he, he hasn't had a slim fast shake yet. So I, guess I guess so. So how have you been, Al? I've been good. Of course, you can see I'm uh, really excited about our 15th episode. I'm here in my top hat and my tuxedo. And um, my... Putting on my top hat. Put no, wait, that's Fred Astaire. I guess you wrong didn't... podcast, wrong decade, wrong era. I guess you didn't get the memo. You're wearing your... Uh, your... I love Mickey uh, T-shirt and your uh, mm-hmm. your uh, Chuck Converse. My Nizwash and my my. Yeah, I'm, I'm wearing the and I'm wearing the hoodie with the Ishka Bibble uh, picture on it. So. Oh no! Don't press the button. He did that. Look it up. No, Ishka Bibble. Ishka, Ishka. Yes. Uh, never Ooh. mind. It's K Kaiser. Yeah. Ishka Bibble. Three Widow Fitties. Check out episode. What was it? Four. Episode three or four. You'll see what we mean. He jumped on that button like. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Schneider jumps on the rent on the... Wait, yeah. Mr. Babbitt jumps on the rent on, on uh, payday. What? Uh, on uh, right. rent due day. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Al, yes, I'll quit while you're behind, okay? <laughs> yes. So, it's been quite a fun time since the last time we spoke to you. Speak the, for yourself. The FNB Redux Tour was apparently a smash hit because we got... Uh, as we went venue to venue, it sold out. Yes, it did. And I want to thank up front the Monkeys Tour... Uh, guys over there for making the uh, videos available, the live feeds for the shows. Um, I posted them to our web to the group website. So you know, if you if you haven't had a chance to see them, um, they've been posted all over the place. But um, it's really great. Um, the Ben Gibbard show at the uh, Castle in San Francisco was amazing. Um, 
what did what did you have you've seen most of the videos did you have a particular uh, highlight for you I liked everything especially Grand Ennui which has always been one of my favorite Mike Solo songs it was I'm not sure I'm happy with the way that he slowed down the delivery but there's no denying that Christian's um, Christian slide guitar downright awesome my friend you truly are the definition of a master musician I have to agree and, it, and Pete Finney, Nez was spot on. Pete Finney was just unbelievable on the Hawaiian pedal steel guitar. It just it, if you haven't checked any of the the videos out, go to the group page, go to the group Facebook page, and check them out. It's just flabbergasting. And need we remind our faithful fans that if you want to hear Mike's own opinions right from the horse's mouth, that didn't that didn't sound right. Anyway, our last episode, number fourteen exclusive interview with Mike and his thoughts on this very tour we are discussing. That's right. And the scuttle is... Listen, hey, come here. Don't tell anybody I told you this, but there are rumors floating around that it did good enough that there might be an extended version of it in the fall because his summer is going to be a little bit occupied, but we can't talk about that right now. You mean the FNB tour may be extended? That's right. We could see some East Coast dates in the fall. Don't tease. You're always such a tease. Oh, don't you just love it? Couldn't you just die? <laughs> yeah, I probably could because my Paul Lind impression sucks. He may not have it here, but he's got it here. <laughs> Thank you, Rip. That's Rip Taylor. That's a reference to the much-dreaded... Monkeys in Vegas. Monkeys at the wheel. At the wheel. The less said about those episodes, the better. But uh, it's just been... And Jody is going to join us later because there's stuff coming up. I know she's excited because on the day that we're recording this, it is two weeks and a day. She's counting down now to the uh, Flower Power Cruise. That features Mickey. Uh, and uh, Mark, uh, I think it both features Mark Lindsay. Correct. And one of her new um, one of her new clients, Felix Cavallari and the Rascals. When you said Mark Lindsay, I almost jumped in with um, Mark Leonard, of course, who played Spock's father on Star Trek. That's a different cruise. Small, strong, and perspire. That's the dyslexic Vulcan. Oh, my. Oh, my. So. Warp Factor 7, uh, Captain. Hey, babe. Take a walk on the wild side. Oh, I'm sorry. That's a John Boy and Billy Mr. Sulu reference. For those of you who don't know who John Boy and Billy is, just please strike that last statement from the record. I thought you were doing Zap Brannigan. <laughs> yeah, no. So, we have a very good episode this week. Um, we have one that kind of ties into the uh, NES, the FNB Redux tour. Uh, you conducted an interview, which seems to be ages ago now, because it's been in the can for a long time, because we haven't had a chance to get to it yet. So, tell everybody, tell everybody about the interview that you have coming up, sir. It's an interview with former Nesmith band guitarist, John Jorgensen. That's right. Uh, we talked about, remember, we asked Nez about that backup band for the, uh, for the um, Live at the Brit tour, the uh, Tropical Campfires tour. Plus, we happened to find some very interesting video footage from 1994. Wait, where, wait, wait, wait. You don't mean... The Armando the Newt tour? Yes. I was afraid that's what you meant. Yes. Where uh, Nez went out with the Hellcasters. Um, because, and uh, I don't remember. That's not a bad word, sir. No, 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 no. no. Stay off that button. H-E, H-E double hockey stick casters. Okay? Thank you. He's nodding. He's approving that. Uh, Mr. Cheatham, uh, why don't you just close the curtain? You'll be you'll be better off that way. Your, your blood pressure won't rise up. Folks, we have a black curtain installed, much like a, a round shower curtain around a, a round bathtub co- kind of device. And uh, 
Oh, let me just toss this little electrical device in there. We'll take care of Mr. Cheetah. <laughs> Scratch one lawyer. Now there's black smoke coming up. No, wait. He's coming out. I see the thumbs up. He's he's okay. Very good. Oh, you mean so we ended up hiring Super Dave Cheatham. <laughs> his, his third cousin twice removed from his mama's side. It's Super Dave Osborne. As I understand it, uh, I was not able. This, this is this is me making up for hogging the Nez interview. So, and I wasn't able to be around. So, Al's got this, and I understand he tells some incredible stories. That he he didn't really want to talk about the questions we asked. He wanted to tell stories. You will hear in this exclusive interview from someone who was there, Mike's own personal reaction to first meeting, not just Jimi Hendrix, but Jimi Hendrix and the experience. The Jimi Hendrix experience, to be technically correct. A story I've never heard before. Mm-hmm. You hear that and so much more. Here's a guy that worked with Mike, but he also has a a bit of a fan perspective because he is a fan like the rest of us. Mm-hmm. So you're getting both sides of a working artist that looks at it that way, plus a Mike Nesmith and Monkeys fan having his dream come true. Yep, and he he tells great story. He he's a great storyteller because he's such a he's such an accomplished musician. I mean. With all, you know, I love the way Christian is a guitarist, but if you've ever listened to the Live at the Brit tour, you'll see what kind of what kind of talent John Jorgensen has. So very true. We're excited about that. So. Very true. And our third podcast partner, Jody Ritson, will be joining us to talk about the Flower Power Cruise to find out uh, there's some more really cool stuff that has come into um, Video Ranch 3D. And uh, I'm not sure if the uh, I'm not sure if the one Mickey promo is still left i don't know if they have any of those left but yeah this this idea that jody had um that we'll get her to talk about was just brilliant it was guinness commercial used to say it was inspired what commercial said that guinness brilliant are you okay you're like you're having a little seizure over there no it's it's mr mr cheatham Oh, he's got the wire now connected to you. Yes. Oh, he's pressing. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Jeez. See what you get. See what you get when you find you, you find lawyer credentials at the Dollar General store. Yeah, know? in the back of the yellow pages. Yes, we still use the yellow pages here. And we also have this week. Um, you're going to feature that no vocals remix that you uh, that you graciously brought out. Graciously, grapefruitly. Grapefruitly, something no, that's like baseball. That. Okay. No, somebody sent this to me years ago. It's it's not true stereo but there's a a technique called out of phasing where you take a stereo track and you um uh you basically put each side slightly out of phase so that we lose what's common on each track in this case the vocals and this is davey of course doing day we fall in love the much maligned much hated in some circles song that's now getting renewed interest because of its inclusion on the more the monkeys box set where you can hear just how wonderful the backing is well here it is in kind of you know, vocalist quality. It's kind of like how they used to take vocals out for karaoke. Right, and it makes an odd kind of pseudo-stereo effect. And what song was this again? The Day We Fall In Love. There will be birds singing everywhere, and the wind will be blowing through your hair. No, no, Alan, that was episode 11, our big Hear No Evil episode where we covered uh, that famous Monkeys tribute disc. And... In upcoming episodes, we're going to go back to covering more tidbits from that Hear No Evil tribute disc from 91. That's right. And if you like that, if you've heard that CD and you like it, we might have a couple of giveaways coming up, starting with that next episode that you might be interested in. Very good. 
All right, let's skip all the waiting and the dilly-dallying and get right to the fabulous John Jorgensen. Dilly-dilly! I, I, I beg your pardon. Is that... Uh, oh, he's shaking his head. That's approved. Did, that, that, that is a Bud Light commercial. He's saying dilly-dilly, quote-unquote, is approved. Okay, we're good. All right. Ow! Cheetah, would you mind? Shot collar. John Jorgensen. Wonderful musician. Played with Mike during his solo tours of 92. 91, 92. Uh, yeah, but you did... He, he basically came in at the end because you saw him in Atlanta in the 91. Live at the Brit was in 92. Right. And that was the true, quote-unquote, Tropical Campfires tours. And then there is that tour that you told me I couldn't say the name of. I couldn't reference it anymore. The 94 tour. Only because of... Was that... Because of that there, that there wax minute that... Uh, oh no, we did now. L- listen, we got that. We by him. did. We did the apology beforehand. Okay, we let them know that the words were coming. He's nodding. He's Do nodding. Do not touch that shot collar He's button nodding. again. Don't wax, make me come in there. Wax my nude is allowed. Okay. Right. Yes, the dreaded Armando the newt, and now what? Wax my nude also. Mm-hmm. Well, I know. I know. Wax my nude was in the zigzag tour, but I, right. I, I haven't seen the whole concert footage yet. It's kind of. It's difficult to watch in certain aspects, certain spots. Because, like we talked about, Mike is not really playing. He's dancing and yeah, he, he's not playing guitar. Yeah, he's just dancing and singing. He's dancing and singing when he feels like it. So right, which is you know, hey, it's Mike. Any but, Mike is good. But that real, but that one was interesting because he does stuff like Total Control. He does a lot of stuff off the uh, uh, off TV parts, which is really neat. Exactly. So, so, so yeah, I, I'm ahead. sorry for the interruption, sir. You know, you, you know me. Just just have him. Hit. Okay, okay, I'll shut up. Okay, so let's get right to it. Here's our exclusive interview with master musician John Jorgensen. Joining us on the podcast is none other than John Jorgensen. Where do I begin? Hey. Uh, <laughs> what, what don't you play, John? I mean, you, you play the mandolin, dobro, pedal steel guitar, saxophone, you name it. Uh, everything I see but drums. Yeah, a lot. Yeah, uh, percussion, keyboards, uh, bassoon. It, it's it's kind of crazy, but I, I you wouldn't never want to hear me play the violin. Right, we'll just we'll just start there. So there is something that uh, I found something you don't play. Excellent. Oh yeah, oh yeah, violin or brass instruments either. Not good at those. So. Very good. Now you've worked with where do I begin? Elton John, The Birds, Dylan. Johnny Cash, Streisand, Roy Orbison, Bonnie Raitt, and some guy named Michael Nesmith. Yes. <laughs> it, it's, it's pretty amazing because, you know, I, I grew up uh, really with my ear glued to the radio. And, and probably when I really started getting serious about listening to, to pop music, you know, was, was probably about 1966. Right. And, you know, I remember very well uh, when the monkeys show was debuting on television mm-hmm. because at that time, I think we had just got a color TV. And so my sister and I were fighting over the channels because uh, on channel, uh, a competing channel, they were airing the, the Beatles at Chase stadium concert. Oh my. And, and so we, you know, we wanted to see both of them and we kept going back and forth in the, in the commercial. You know, <laughs> That's how you did see. it back then. Exactly. Exactly. When were, were you a monkeys fan back then? And, and when and how did you discover Mike's music particularly? Um, well, I, you know, I was a monkeys fan from when they first started, you know, the first, uh, my, 
I have a sister that's two and a half years older. So uh, at her birthday party, uh, you know, which of course I was not allowed to be around. Of course, someone brought her the monkey's first album, you know, and of course they were listening to it and I would sit on the stairs and and listen to the music as well. So, uh, you know, I, I liked the, their music from the get-go. And, of course, I liked the television show, too. And um, and I remember, you know, when when they started kind of splitting apart and, uh, you know, Michael was doing his own music, uh, I remember, you know, following that, too, because I just followed every music. I liked so much stuff. You know, there was not, not much of anything I didn't like. And... You know, strangely, you know, to meet him uh, a number of years later, a bunch of my friends were working with him. And the guitarist at that time, let's see, this would have been in, this would have been in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm trying to think of how, I'm trying to remember of how we met. I think John Hobbs was playing piano with Naz at the time and had recommended me to replace Billy Walker, who I'm not sure why he was going to quit playing with Naz, but maybe scheduling or something like that. And, and so at that time, I think Naz was just starting Pacific arts too. Right. And he was getting ready for the Brit festival recording. And that was the first thing that I did with him. Mm-hmm. It was the the Brit the Brit Festival, and it was uh, Red Rhodes, you know, who was a, of course a longtime collaborator on pedal steel, and John Hobbs, and Joe Chimay on the bass, great line, and Luis Conte, fantastic percussionist. Mm-hmm. I, I so enjoyed playing with him. And we rehearsed up a set of music and, and did it at this festival. And it was just, it was really fun. We had a great time. Excellent. I, I was able to see some of those shows. I caught uh, one or two in Atlanta in 92, I think. And just amazing. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. yeah. That sounds about the time period. Well, what was it about well, Michael? Yeah, go, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Ask, ask away. I'll well, ramble for hours. <laughs> <laughs> what was it about Michael that impressed you the most, both personally and musically? Well, I noticed that I liked his songs, you know, especially like I, I, I always liked different drum, even before I knew that he wrote it. I just right. liked the song by Linda Ronstadt. And, and I noticed that, you know, I, even when I was a young kid, I, I looked at, at who was playing and who was writing the songs. And I noticed you know, that he was the one of those guys that, that actually wrote songs right. that they recorded. And I always liked the songs he wrote. And he, he just has a, well, as you know, and probably any fan of his knows, he, he just has a really unique way of looking at the world. He does. And, and a unique way of putting those into his lyrics. And, you know, when I finally was around him, uh, I'm not going to say I fully understand why, but uh, getting to know him, he is, when I tell people, you know, the first thing I tell people about him is that he treats me more like an artist than anyone else 
in my kind of world. Right. He, he, he really comes from an artist's perspective, and he relates to me that way, which is really awesome. You know? mm-hmm. um, I mean, he doesn't, he, he never related to me as a, a backing musician for him or anything like that. He, he, he related to me as an artist. So I was attracted to that. And, and also his, he thinks in such a forward way. Uh, I remember he was the first person that tried to explain to me and show me the internet. Oh yeah. And I couldn't, I couldn't get it at the time. Mm. You know, this was back in the days of dial up mm-hmm. and he was trying to dial up and show me on a little computer screen where somebody had a camera on an aquarium in Ohio or something like that, you know? And, and I could, I just, I, my mind couldn't take the leap of, oh, why would you want to do that? Right. You know? and, but he was so, so progressive and so understanding of the, you know, the, the potential of that technology. Right. And so it wasn't that many years later uh, you know, that I, I had my gypsy jazz quintet on his video ranch, you know, in one of the venues doing a virtual concert mm-hmm. with people, uh, you know, attending his avatars and, and commenting from all around the world. Right. In fact, our, our guitarist, uh, rhythm guitarist at that time was named Gonzalo Vergara and he was from Argentina and his brother was watching from Argentina and making funny comments about his shoes or something like that. Mm-hmm. It was, uh, but again, you know, that sort of virtual reality and virtual world or whatever it was very forward in that. I, you know, I think that's sort of maybe his blessing and curse at the same time is that he's so, you know, he's usually a good five years or more ahead of, of the curve, you know, and, and the public takes a little while to catch up with that. Well, I, you know, I have a story to tell you. In, in 1979, he made a a interview album to promote Infinite Rider on the Big Dogma. And I got that the next year, and I'm a 15-year-old high school student in a small town listening to this, listening to Mike talk about, oh, one day, if you need a, a direction map to your friend's house, you'll go on, a, on your computer in your house, and you'll get that. And if you want a recipe, you're going to your computer and get that. Now, I'm picturing Jetsons like pneumatic tubes hooked up, like at your bank. And, you know, you order yeah. these things, and maybe it comes into yeah. your house that way. Like, I couldn't get mine. My... This is 1980. And he's talking about this. I know. Well, you know, one of the people that I met through him was Douglas Adams. Right. And if, if that name is not familiar to people, Douglas Adams wrote Hitchhiker's Guide to the Universe. Mm-hmm. And, of course, he wrote that in the 70s. Right. And basically, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Universe is what we now would call a tablet or a smartphone. Mm-hmm. And, and so he and, and Nez were friends. And, you know, again, here's two very forward-thinking people. And at one time, they were collaborating on, a, you know, on producing the film of, of that book. Right, I remember. And, and it, it didn't, I can't remember why it didn't work out that way, but um, you can imagine my surprise at one time I was at my home. I lived in Hollywood at that time, just off Sunset Boulevard, and knock on the door, and I open the door, and, and here's Michael Nesmith and Douglas Adams <laughs> just 
dropped by unannounced, you know? Hello. And I thought, yeah, oh my God. Well, it turns out that Douglas Adams was a guitar player and a music fan, and uh, he had just bought a a left-handed Martin from the Guitar Center, which was down the street. And uh, at the time, I I still do have it, but at the time it was fairly new. I had a uh, an Epiphone casino guitar that had amazing artwork of the Beatles' Yellow Submarine all over it. It's, oh, wow. it's actually in the Musical Instrument Museum in Phoenix now on display. Mm. It, it survived going through the big flood in Nashville. It was underwater for a week, but oh, yeah. it's still okay. But it's a beautiful, beautiful piece of, of work, and, and he wanted Douglas to see that. So they just wow. stopped by my house. So, yeah, wow. I know. Well, this is the same man back when he was with the monkeys would, you know, look at Davy Jones and go, I feel like a, a burger from Hank's house of beef. And Davy would go, where's that? It's in Dallas. And off Mike would fly in his plane and go get a burger and come back to California. <laughs> I just felt like a burger, you know? Well, let's talk well, a little bit about, oh, I go ahead. I don't know if you know this. Yes. Well, I was going to, I don't know if you know the story about um, Nez and, and John Lennon. Uh, he He told me that, you know, he wanted to meet John Lennon, mm-hmm. and he was trying to figure out how he could make that happen. And so he sent some telegrams that were, you know, interestingly worded and things like mm-hmm. that, and he got John Lennon's attention. And so eventually he, he invited him to come and stay at his house, and this was while they were making Sgt. Peppers. Right. So So – Mike was staying at John Lennon's house and he said that Lennon would come home after a day in the studio and bring home uh, an acetate, you know, which would be sort of like a demo tape of the work that they'd done that day. And he would play it for them and, and listen to it. And, and (laughs) Lennon would be asking him little details like, Oh, do you think the bass sounds good or this or that? This And, and, Michael said the whole thing was so mind-boggling that he he just couldn't even concentrate on a detail. He just was so amazed at that thing. So imagine being in the middle of that process, you know, making one of the uh, landmark albums of our time. Right, and John Lennon is asking you, what do you think about this little part here? It's like, wow. Yeah, yeah, incredible. I heard that... yeah, I heard the, the letters that Mike wrote to John. He signed them with uh, um, the sign-off, God is love, and that got John's attention. As it, as, as you know, in hindsight, you'd go, of course, you know. Mm-hmm. But again, Mike had the foresight to, to think about it in that way. And it's, yeah, that's right. such a gift. It is. Well, well, let's talk a little bit about the recording of Tropical Campfires, which was a great... CD, a great album. Were you surprised at any of the, some of the songs that were like non-Nesmith choices to record on the album? Yes. Yeah, I was a little bit. Um, but, but again, you know, he's so eclectic sure. and has such interesting tastes that, um, and, and for me in particular, that was a really fun project because I'm a very eclectic musician, right? And and I, I I like so many different instruments and you know styles and things and 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 I got to to basically you know 
it's not that there was completely free reign in the studio to do whatever you wanted, mm-hmm. but it felt, you know, I never felt hesitant to, to say, oh, I could play the bassoon or I could play the soprano sax or what do you think of this idea? Or, you know, I have this vocal idea or anything. He was very open to everyone's creative input. And so all of us on that album got to put a lot of ourselves into the music. And one thing I remember in particular was on the song One for the Island. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, a couple of things. Doing those vocals was really fun because we, we were all singing together and we stacked up the big choir sounding parts. And mm-hmm. and and then the other thing was there's a little section in the middle where it, it kind of sounds Eastern, like Middle Eastern kind of music. Oh, sure. And, and, and so again, Luis Conte, the brilliant percussionist, he was playing all of these different exotic percussion instruments. Some, some like a, looked like a clay pot where you would cover hmm. different holes and different tones would come out. And, uh, but during that part, Nez said, I want this to sound like a marketplace in Istanbul. <laughs> so, okay. so here was, so so here was Luis Conti, and in one hand, he was playing a shaker where you have to be so accurate with your timing. Mm-hmm. You know, people think that tambourines and maracas and shakers and things like that are easy to play, but nope. they're not. Nope. I mean, I mean, they're they're easy to play badly, but mm-hmm. it's really hard to play well. And on a recording, you have to do it so accurately. So here he is with one hand doing a very accurate timing on a shaker, and in his other hand he's picking up random things from this big table of bells and chains and and little, like one was just like a handful of keys and he just picked it up and shook it. Right. So, so it sounded, it it gave the impression that you were in a marketplace with all these random sounds kind of happening. And I thought, first of all, you know, Nez coming up with that description and then Louise Conte taking exactly that and, you know, realizing it in sound. Right. It sounded great too. It it hit the mark as far as I'm concerned. And I'm an amateur percussionist and I know what you mean. Those, uh, it's not as easy as it looks. You can't just, you know, hit the cowbell, you know, and go there, we're done. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, that whole album was very, very fun to make. I, I I really enjoyed it. And, And in fact, I listened to it, you know, I don't often listen to projects that I work on a lot, you know, because mm-hmm. I'm usually not that I'm not proud of them, but I'm usually thinking about whatever the next thing is and or sure. whatever I'm working on at the time. But occasionally something will happen that makes me go back and kind of relive it. And I recently did that with that album. And I, I was kind of stunned at, at the amount of artistry and creativity. And um, I mean, maybe it's, Maybe it's too much of that for the mass public to to really get into it, but uh, I I felt like that was sort of an under-recognized album. Me too. Just from a general point of view. Probably not for Nez fans, because I know, you know, they love it, but... Sure. It's one of the favorites, and in fact, I'm going to put you on the spot right now. What is your favorite cut off that album? Um, I'd probably say one for the island. Yeah. No, I just I love the sound of it. I love the message. I love the vocals. Uh, I love everything about it. You know, oh yeah. That's, that's, 
I think I'd have to agree. Now, do you have a particular favor of the older solo Nesmith stuff that you really enjoyed playing, and why? Um, I always like two different roads, uh, and I guess it's because I just like the way the chorus feels. You know, mm. the, the uh, I really I always liked singing the harmony with him, and it's a fairly simple song, and but. Also, propinquity is is pretty. Uh, I don't know. There's a there's a warmth about those early songs that that I don't I don't hear as much in the later ones. Mm-hmm. And maybe just the the warmth and the simplicity, but those two I really like. Mm. Um, I always liked, uh, you know, I was like Papa Jean's Blues too, and I mean, there's there's. There's not that many that I don't like, to be to be honest with you. That sounds familiar. Most Nesmith fans feel the same way. Well, it's easier to list the ones I kind of don't favor than the ones I, I love, because I love them all, basically. Um, yeah. Well, you know, my, my podcasting partner, Alan, he, he said about Mike's writing, uh, even his pre-Monkey stuff, because, you know, he had different drum already written, and a few others, he said, you know, it's amazing that someone that young had those kind of insights on relationships and love and loss at 22 oh. and 23 and you oh, know I agree you know that well that um I, I imagine you've read Infinite Tuesday oh sure yeah well the, the the part of that book that one of my favorite parts was when he was describing kind of finding his own voice as a writer and an sure. artist and mm-hmm. and you know, sort of out of desperation, writing those first four songs and then playing them at the Troubadour, which I, I played Monday night at the Troubadour with Chris Hillman and Herb Peterson mm. to promote Chris's most recent album that was produced by the Tom Petty. Right. Uh, who was so sadly lost recently. But that, that place is so iconic. I, I pictured you know, Nesbitt there singing those four songs, his first four songs, more or less the first time he presents them in a, in a public forum, they get recognized by mm. a manager, you know, slash publisher, you know, oh, and sure. it, 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 you know, in a way it seems like things came really easy to him. You know, right. if you look at it from one perspective, like seriously, the first four songs <laughs> you write, those are the those are the songs, and you get a publishing deal right away, you know. And then that publisher recommends you for a new television show, and you get that right away. And that television show is not just a hit, but it's a huge hit. Right. And then you have musical hits off of that. I mean, it's crazy when you think about that, you know. Mm-hmm. All for all to one person, but I think you know if if people read that that book. You know, it's as easy as those things came. Other parts were equally difficult. You know, it, it always seems to balance out life in some kind of strange oh, yes. way. Yes. I've noticed that too. I work as a graphic artist and there have been years where, you know, you work really hard and, and nothing seems to happen and then everything falls into place and then you might have a decade of that. And then you're like, you know, I'm, I'm still the same guy that you flock to you know, 10 years ago, but it's just the way it happens for artists. I think that. Oh, I think so too. Yeah. And, and 
and how your creativity strikes with the the time and, yes. and the people's mindset and whatever else is happening in the world and right uh, it's that's very interesting <laughs> and none of it can be predicted if we could predict it we'd all be in clover so you know. yeah well you know like i can say you know my association with with nez uh it it brought to the world something that probably wouldn't have happened otherwise and it was again a timing thing the the helicasters was mm. a, a band that wasn't even supposed to be a band it was just going to be a collaboration of three guitar playing friends one time to play a show together where there wasn't any vocals and where the guitarists were the main thing and at that show uh after the show so many people came up to us and said oh man what are you guys playing again i, w I want my guitar player friends to come down and we said, well, we're not. We're not a real band. We just did this for fun. But so many people were asking that we did it again. And by that time, uh, I think John Hobbs had told Nez about it, and he came down to see us at the Palomino. And after our show said, hey, I'm starting a new label, and I, I would like you guys to record for my new label. Mm -hmm. And had that not happened... You know, I don't think we, we would not have pursued a record deal or anything like that because we weren't even thinking in that direction. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, our first album won album of the year from Guitar Player Magazine, and we ended up getting a set of signature model Fender guitars. Oh wow! I think we're the only band other than the Ventures that ever that that ever happened to. Oh wow! So. It you know, uh, and, and I can, you know, uh, I can put that down to to Nez's belief in in the band and, and interest, and so again, that's one of those timing things that you, you couldn't necessarily make that happen. It just happened. Absolutely. Well, the Hellcat the Hellcasters were a great band. I remember, you know, loving you guys live and picking up the. Uh, you, did you produce how many CDs did you guys produce? Well, we the, we we produced two for Michael's right. label Pacific Arts, and then when the second one was coming out, uh, that's when his company went into the big lawsuit PBS. Right. So he very graciously gave the rights of those albums back to us. Oh my! And then we did one more album, you know, kind of on our own owning it. And then, so there's three actual albums, and then there's sort of a compilation album with a few new cuts on it. Excellent. I know I've got those two early ones. I may need to pick up that uh, that last one. Are they all still available? I think so, yeah. The third one is called Hell 3. Okay. Very so easy, easy to remember. Well, <laughs> when we, funny when thing, we... on the first album, I don't mm -hmm. know if you remember the cover. Oh, yes. Uh, we wanted it to look like a, you know, a horror film, like a cheesy B horror film. And, and so the, the art, one of the art directors at, at Pacific arts came up with this poster and we loved it, you know, and mm -hmm. I wanted the, the letters to look like the monsters, you know, and right. The bleeding and, letters, yeah. the font. Yeah. And well, we couldn't get the rights to use the face of the woman that was in the old movie poster. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Michael's, I, th 
think I don't know if they were married at that time yet or just a couple, but but Victoria, who ended up being married to Miss for quite a while, she modeled and tried to make the same facial expression. So she's on the cover. Oh wow. Her. Yeah. Very interesting. <laughs> well yeah. let me take a moment to ask you about this. I've always been interested in this particular bit of Mike trivia. Um there were some, some 1994 concerts moving a little bit beyond the earlier period of Tropical Campfires and the Brit Festival, where Mike would come out on stage, didn't play the guitar, but he, he took on the persona of Armando the Newt, and he kind yes. of uh, sang and danced a bit. Now, what, what, what kind of um, tidbits do you have about that or any inside information about those tours? You may not have any, but if you do... Well, uh you know, there was one there were he wasn't necessarily being Armando the Newt. Right. But uh the, the Helicasters played a, a few times with him. There was one time where it was not the Helicasters, it was uh it was myself and pedal steel player J D Manus mm-hmm. because I think by that time I, I can't I can't remember if Red had passed or if he was not well. But JD was playing the pedal steel. Steve Duncan, who played drums a lot with the Helicasters, was playing drums. And a bass player named John Davis was playing bass. And the Gretsch Guitar Company had asked Nez to play for them at the NAM show, which is a musical instrument trade show. And they were putting on a, a concert for their dealers or whatever. And they asked Nez to play, and he said he would if they made him a white 12 string, like he used to play with the monkeys. Mm-hmm. Well, they said, okay, and they did. And horribly around that time, I like new year's Eve, th- th- that show is always in the middle of January. Mm. And on, on new year's Eve, I had broke my shoulder skiing. Oh boy. Really bad. So, I could I could still play. It was in sort of like a sling, but I couldn't move it away from my body to get a guitar in between my arm and the body. Mm-hmm. So what I did was I took a saw to one of my Telecasters and I cut off the back of the body behind the bridge so that I could reach the strings without raising my arm. Okay. And the Gretsch people desperately wanted me to play a Gretsch, but I couldn't reach the, you know, I couldn't reach right. the strings. What can you so, do? I would have been happy to play a Gretsch, but I just couldn't. But anyway, the reason I bring up that show is because as we as we got into it, I I can't remember we were playing Calico Girlfriend, and uh, I don't even remember the set list, but it was more toward the early kind of country rock, you know, songs. And like Nez got into a thing where he said, okay, we're not in a, we're not in a banquet room in the Marriott hotel in Anaheim, California. We're actually on a yacht and we're, we're sailing around the ocean. And, uh, and so he got into this whole thing about being on a yacht and, and, you know, the at the time Gretsch was being manufactured in Japan, so was, I remember a lot of drunk, jet lagged businessmen, Japanese businessmen. And at one point, you know, I looked at their faces, and he was going into this kind of 
fantastical speech thing, you know, and their faces were just so so blank, you know. And one of them, one of them did the Greg Allman face plant, you know, his dinner. I thought, how how surreal is this? Here I am with a broken shoulder, sitting down playing, which is weird, and, and here's this iconic Michael Nesbitt here talking about that we're on a yacht somewhere and <laughs> and all of these people in the audience just looking like you know like it was just so bizarre that certainly it would have worked much better if it was a normal concert and the people you know were fans and sort of had an idea of the eccentricity but right <laughs> but at that time i just thought you know this is one of my least comfortable moments on stage oh yeah <laughs> and anytime we can finish this will be fine you know? right well it was obvious mike was having a great time but uh you know yeah yeah but those you know there was a series of concerts uh with that original band that i mentioned before right. with red Rhodes and john hobbs and that and then there was a series of concerts with the helicasters and and both were very different interesting i think i think maybe i preferred the ones with the that original band i think they suited his songs a little bit better right and the songs with the helicasters we were doing some of the ones like um formosa diner and uh ones that were a little bit how would i say heavier or something Mm -hmm. less less country influenced Mm -hmm. which is cool but I, i don't know i i didn't feel like they it, it was the, the Helicasters were, were, I think, a little bit too. Um, I don't want to say harsh, but it was just. Um, I don't think it was as uh, sympathetic to his mm. songs and lyrics. You know what I'm saying? Oh, sure. Like, three sure. electric guitars was a lot. You know? Oh yeah. <laughs> yes. Now, what, speaking of that, was there a reason Mike chose not to play guitar? during those shows hmm. yeah you know i we never even talked about it i i, I hmm. think maybe just because he felt like there was enough guitars well, on yes. stage already <laughs> like you just you mentioned know? three electric guitars there yeah. you go <laughs> yeah and i think he, he enjoyed that kind of uh sort of acting aspect of, yeah. of, of putting over those songs too absolutely you know He's just an immensely creative being, that's all. You know? He is. And, and you know, it's us as spectators that tend to put him in this box. Well, he's going to come out and play these songs and play guitar. And then we don't quite know what to do when he comes out and paints a word picture and doesn't play the guitar and is wearing, you know, the turquoise belt buckle. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Now, he, he definitely defies your expectations. Yes. And, you know... It, if it all goes well, he could take you to a place you'd never even imagined. Going, oh, sure. You sure. know, but that yeah. kind of risk, you know, that kind of risk, sometimes it doesn't work, but, but, but sometimes it does. And, and I, I really like that about him. I, I've often said, you know, I've always been the most attracted to him in the monkeys, his music, his playing his singing in the monkeys. And I always said, cause a friend once put my feet to the fire. Well, why is that? And I said, you know, I thought about it and I came back with, he's the one in the group whose performances and his writing and his playing doesn't really seem to be that informed by the Beatles. Now, of course, everybody, every artist 
from then till today is is of course influenced and informed by the Beatles. But like you said, he was marching to his own drummer, no pun intended. And yeah. you look at him, and it's yeah. like he 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 comes from another world or something. I mean, the way he just structures lyrics, even then. Yeah, you, you're absolutely right. Yeah, you're right. And and I think, you know, like again, if you, if you read um, Infinite Tuesday, then you'll you'll see his influences. They were pretty uh, pretty well struck before he even heard the Beatles. Right. So then you get that that different slant to it, and you know, um, not to take away anything from the other monkeys because obviously it was the right group of people because it it worked, you know. Sure. And 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 I like all of their voices and all their contributions, and it's all good, you know. Mm, absolutely. <laughs> now. Was work on the garden completed before or after you went on the road in '94? If you can remember. Wow, I don't remember. <laughs> um, yeah, I was you know I was just thinking about the garden while we were talking, and I remember some of the sessions for that, but I don't remember the timeline. Right. It seems like, dang, I I can't remember. When did it come? When, when did it come out as a, as opposed to Tropical Campfires? Let's see. Tropical Campfires was ninety two, so I'm thinking the Garden was ninety four. This is something a good little okay. podcaster should have already researched before he does an interview. Yeah, so. <laughs> I know. And one, you know, one would think that I, I would know, but uh, it's been a while. Yeah, it's been it's been a number of years, yeah. and and I can remember. You know, I can remember playing some of the instruments because, again, on the garden, you know, I played a lot of, uh, of unusual instruments like the bassoon yeah. and clarinet, and it was just more orchestral in scope. Right. And I think that, you know, again, that's a project that maybe was ahead of its time. You know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, just like the prison itself. Well, how how are those projects, like, for the you know, for the bulk of, of Nez fans, how are those projects viewed? You know, speaking of, of, as someone in the audience, I think once again, you're expecting one thing and you get another. I know they were lauded for the experimentation aspect. I mean, especially the, the prison, you know, the idea of, you know, again, here's Nez ahead of the time, ahead of the curve, the multimedia yep. aspect. Yeah. Yeah, of the book and the music, and I think the garden. I think fans look at these as something that's off to the side in a way. They're not better or worse than the regular output, but they're kind right. of over on that separate shelf there. Right. So it's kind of wild. Now, working on the garden as opposed to tropical campfires was the garden different because of the inclusion of Jason, Christian, and Jessica, Mike's kids, on those sessions. Um. Well, they. I'm trying to remember. They, they. I remember them being around. God, I. It seems like I remember them being around more in tropical campfires. Maybe I'm getting those two projects mixed up. Um, I, I don't remember, you know, that as being like a really different thing about the creative process necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um. I remember at the time, um, 
say which is the son. There was one of his sons was in a band with with Donovan's son at I the time. I think that was Jason. Called, called Nancy Boy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I remember him being around the studio and we were talking about guitars and stuff like that. Right. Um, but no, I don't, you know, the, the, those two projects were so different because Tropical Campfires really sort of had a theme, mm-hmm. you know, with the, well, <laughs> the, the Western and the tropical, you know, right. And, and they, and it was song oriented mm. where, uh, the garden was so much more, um, sound picture kind of oriented. Right. You know? Absolutely. And yeah, that's strange. I have better memories of, I mean, not, not better or worse, but more clear memories about uh, tropical campfires. I, I can still see the studio in my mind. And one cool thing that he did, he had photographs that were taken of us, uh, during rehearsal, I think, for the Brit Festival. And he had them blown up and mounted on poster board and and mounted in the studio, in the, the large room of the studio. Mm-hmm. So it was a cool way of sort of, I don't know, it was, it, thinking back, it, it made me feel sort of more important and more <laughs> like my creativity was being honored or something like that. Right. You know? And, oh, yeah. and, and I thought, what a cool, what a cool idea! Nobody had ever, no one's ever done that that I remember working in studios. It's always those little touches to make an artist feel appreciated. It doesn't take much. No, it doesn't. You know? It's it's somebody thinking like a little outside of the box, which, right. which of course he does quite a bit. Absolutely. No, we talked a bit about the unusual instruments you were called on to play in some of these sessions. Was it fairly easy for you to pick up these instruments when you were tasked with play this? We need this for this cut. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, the the bassoon is is probably the hardest one to just mm. pick up and play because it's muscle that you use in your your lips and you're forming the embouchure. The embouchure is is how you form your your face and lips to to hold the reed and make a sound right and on that instrument the muscles for some reason don't get used for anything else in life but that <laughs> so so as opposed to like if i play the clarinet i can play that you know if i hadn't been playing for a while i could play that for quite a while and not sure. become fatigued but the bassoon i could only play it for like five minutes at a time before my muscles were just gone so that would be the only thing. If I had to play a lot of that instrument, I, it, I might have to take a couple of breaks or something. It becomes but, an endurance factor there. Yeah. Yeah. There's a cool thing at the end of, um, I think it's at the end of one for the Island too, where John Hobbs and I play a series of notes that, uh, they don't fit into the time, the actual time frame of the song. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there are too many notes for the bar or something like that. Right. And we repeat that phrase enough times so that it comes back around and finishes at the right place. Hmm. And maybe listen to that. It's like a piano and a mandolin, I think, that are playing, right. playing that together. 
Very cool. Well, we're about ready to wrap it up. Do you have any other things you'd like to, to, to throw in? Any remembrances or tidbits? Now's the time. Um, yeah, well, <laughs> you know, God, there's so many good stories, but one of them was that uh, Jimi Hendrix had been, you know, asked to open for their tour when they first started. Right. And so it was, I guess it was Mickey's idea and he'd, he'd suggested it. And so Mike and the others hadn't met them yet, Mm. but they were preparing for the first show and they were, you know, up on the top floor of some hotel and down below was all the screaming fans and such. Mm. And they had sort of blocked off that whole floor. And Mickey came in to tell Mike, Hey, Jimmy and his band are coming to you want to meet them. Mm. And Mike's is like, yeah, I'd love to meet him. So, so he, he stepped out into the hall and he looked down at the end of the hall to the elevator mm-hmm. and the elevator doors opened and standing there with the back light of the elevator was Jimmy and Noel and Mitch. <laughs> like a scene and out of a movie. Wearing their, yes. They were wearing their psychedelic clothes and they had the big throws and they were being backlit, and he said they moved in unison, almost like as if they floated out of the elevator and down the hall, like the cover of Axis Bold is Love coming to life. (laughs) And I just always thought that's such a great visual. Absolutely. How cool. That's the way you meet the Jimi Hendrix experience. Right, (laughs) right. They're not sitting in a deli having a pastrami sandwich, no. No, and no, and no. he said that he would put a disguise on and go out to watch them every oh, concert yeah. because he was so blown away at, at Hendrix and how he played. And absolutely. absolutely loved it. I get tired of the, you know, what was Jimi Hendrix doing opening for the Monkees? When their the thinking then was, Jimmy's very theatrical and the Monkees live show is very theatrical. No other group came out for an hour and had a light show and costume changes. You know, a group back then came out and did... They 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 saw it through six or seven hits, got off the stage, you know, and that's was yeah. the thinking. Yeah. Well, and also that just hey, I saw this great band, you right. know, let let's let's bring them to America and show them to our audience, you know. Absolutely. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, pe- you know, people, it, the behind the scenes, and in, it, it's it's often very very different than. You know, yes. then then it's then the simple answer that you see on the surface. Right. Absolutely. Well, let us know what you're up to now. What what's going on with you and uh your current projects? Well, thank you for asking. Um Tuesday night uh we had a screening of a film mm-hmm. of a concert that my wife and I put together. It was a tribute to the songwriter John D. Loudermilk. And you you may know some of his songs, Tobacco Road, Then You Tell Me Goodbye, Indian Reservation, Waterloo, Abilene, Sitting in the Balcony, Norman, Sad Movies. Uh, It it just goes on and on. You know, they've been recorded from Eddie Cochran to Nora Jones to Jay-Z to, you know, (laughs) everybody you can think of has recorded his songs. And so... Uh, it was my wife's idea to put together a tribute concert for him. His health was declining and he was a family friend. Mm. 
And so we got 27 different artists to come and each sing one of his songs. Right. So it would it was uh, Rodney Crowell, Amy Lou Harris, Ricky Skaggs, Roseanne Cash, Doyle Lawson and Quicksilver, Tommy Emanuel, John McPhee from the Doobie Brothers, John Cowan, uh, his son Mike Loudermilk, uh, George Hamilton, the fourth son, George Hamilton, the fifth, <laughs> and uh, this just uh, an amazing cast of musicians came to honor him. And we recorded it and filmed it. And now it's an album that's out and it's being considered for a Grammy nomination. Right. Uh, I mixed, I was able to fit 24 of the 27 performances on an album. Mm. And, uh, and then there's a, a short, an hour long version of the show up on the PBS satellites that people can call and request to have it played in their local area, their PBS Excellent. stations. And then we have this full two-hour cut that has all the performances and the reactions of John D. himself. He was able to be there. It was about five months before he passed away. And even though he was pretty ill, he was just delighted. And he would tear up. He would clap. He would sing along. It, it was just uh, very heartfelt and an amazing evening. Mm. And so we're looking at maybe some sort of a DVD release or maybe even film festivals for the full screening because it, it went so well. And so that's a project that's just kind of come to fruition. Um, I've been touring with Chris Hillman mm-hmm. on this album that Tom Petty produced for him. And I, I played a lot on that. And of course, Chris Hillman and her Peterson and I um, were the main uh, front line of the Desert Rose Band. Right. So I go way back, you know, with Chris. And of course, he was the bass player in The Birds. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I'm constantly amazed that, you know, I've played with members of The Birds and of The Monkees. Right. And, you know, all, the all these bands that I loved growing up with, you know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and And then my, you know, myself i have a gypsy jazz quintet that tours the john jorgensen quintet playing music inspired by django reinhardt uh i have a bluegrass band uh j2b2 short for john jorgensen bluegrass band Mm. her peterson is in that with me and we've got an album coming out in december Mm-hmm. and we've been on the Grand Old Opry a number of times. Very, very good bluegrass band. And then I have an electric band as well that's, you know, so I can do a little bit more of my Helicasters type of material. Mm. And that band usually plays more in Europe than here. Right. And so a lot of busy ensembles. <laughs> I'm going to do some Christmas shows coming up, collaborating with Maria Moldar. Mm-hmm. And she's she's got a, a nice assortment of 20s and 30s kind of swing Christmas songs. So right. looking forward to that. And then I produced a Christmas album for a group out of Quebec called The Lost Fingers, hmm. which is a very eclectic. Uh, our, our edict was no bells, you know, nothing like the normal Christmas songs that you would mm-hmm. do. And so there's a single coming out They've done a beautiful kind of bossa nova version of New Year's Day by U2. Right. And it sounds like maybe Chardet singing U2. 
<laughs> and that'll be released soon. And then after Thanksgiving, uh, they'll release a more dance-oriented track called Coconut Christmas, which is basically saluting the rest of the world that doesn't have snow during Christmas, you know, <laughs> that has a, a sunny Christmas. So There you go. So, yeah, so there's been a lot going on, but and I'm very thankful. I mean, and, and actually, Nez and I have, have talked about doing some stuff together too I was going to ask yeah I I don't know you know it's it's hard to tell if that's going to come to fruition or not but uh, but there's been some talk and I've been up you know he's been down to visit me and I've been up to visit him Uh, I live in Ventura California and he lives in uh, Carmel Valley so Mm. it's a sort of a you know a longish drive between so it's not not too bad but excellent. You know, fingers crossed that there'll be something that works out there that I always enjoy working with him. Amazing. I don't know how you even found time for this uh this interview. You're so busy. <laughs> Man. Well, we've got three three days in a row at in Park City, Utah. Oh. And that's really unusual that we'll have three shows in the same theater, but hmm. um it's really nice cuz we don't have to travel and uh so I'm, I'm able to do things like this. I, I enjoy it because it it helps me remember some cool things, and and I'm proud. You know, I mean, it's not to sound arrogant, but I'm 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 proud of the of the people that I've got to work with and, and the music that we've created together. So I thank you for giving me a chance to reminisce a little bit. Well, thank you for your time and your generosity, and you're taking a moment to look back with us at this My wonderful pleasure. music. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. Thank you, John. You bet. And we hope you enjoyed that interview. It really was. Alan, you're. Alan, you're looking kind of. You're funny. I, I, you okay? I, 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 I don't. I don't know what you mean, mean Alan. So like, all um, of a sudden, I'm starting to feel this wave coming over me, like deja vu all over again. Three twenty one K is Jay Jetson time with the real Don Steele back in the saddle again on the Texas Parade Chicken Home Companion Monkeys Podcast. Monkeys, we are here because we heard the magic words wax minute. So what we're gonna do right now is Al Bigley. We're gonna play from nineteen seventy four. Zigzag, 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 zigzag. Michael Nesmith and Red Rhodes live in London with that one great song. Monkeys, monkeys, monkeys. Wax minute. Monkeys. Nesmith. So now you got old Papa Nez locked early on the horns of a dilemma. Got everything in the world I want and don't want any of it. <laughs> How about that? Now, wait a minute. Hold your newt still for just a minute. Wax my newt. That's a good song, incidentally. I like that. I was going to sing it, but I don't, I don't want to. It's your favorite? We got to play it, pal. But now, now I got to tell you something. This is I'm going to cop out now. I'm going to tell you my tires aren't that good before we race, so that if I lose, I'm cool, okay? Because I don't. I haven't played this song in a long time, and I think it's an A, Red. I think it's an A. As you complicate things greatly. Nope, it ain't an A. No, it's not in G. I'm sure it's not in G. You complicate things greatly since you came into my. Old veneers and stately postures. I gotta pass. I can't do it. I don't think I can do it.
That may work. I, I'm, 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 oh, the bridge is going to be a horror story. Let's, uh, let's practice that part where we go to the F for a minute, Red. We go, uh, see, hold it, I've got to do it. Wait a minute, just give me a second, I'll do it. And then, oh, the end. The distance which our key, keep close to D, has entered into play. Miles which make me say, I won't be seeing you. That's the end of the song. Now we gotta go. Um, it goes A to G to D to F F. No, on what it might have meant to you. Okay, let's try it. As you complicate things greatly, since you came into. Wipes my youth within your side And the taxing weight of adjusting To all the thoughts which you reveal Only incites me to motion While that's the crux of your
<laughs> Listen, um, now, I was back in a place where I was going to tell you what happened after Grand Henri. Because, I, remember the horns of the dilemma that I was stuck on? Remember that? So, um, I got into a place in my consciousness which began to take on a lightly so-it-goes kind of philosophical say la vie. You know, well, what the heck, what am I going to do? I mean, I, you know, here I am, I'm stuck here, and uh, nothing I seem to do is going to work. I mean, I don't want to get into any place where I'm doing any kind of funny, false heroics. I just want to be what I am and just do what I'm doing, you know, I mean, just like anybody does. Well, I hope you enjoy that little song. Our legal advisor, Mr. Cheatham, has told me to include a little disclaimer as to why we included that song in this very podcast. If you recall in our last episode with our exclusive interview with one Mr. Michael Nesmith, he said he may be reviving Wax Minute for the new First National Band Tours. Now, Mr. Cheatham tells me, legally, I have not found any instance of Mr. Nesmith covering that song during the recent sold-out tours, but we thought you'd enjoy hearing this 1974 segment of Wax Minute for yourself in lieu of any possible future performances. Now, back to your regularly scheduled podcast, already in progress. Uh, now what happened? I blacked out. Did, 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 after all these, after all these weeks and months, did he come back? I'm afraid he did. He, he came over you and you couldn't help yourself. Well, you know, when you get into the RDS, the real Don Steele, you know, He's been gone for such a long time. I tried to hold him back like Bruce Banner holds back the Hulk, but, you know, sometimes it just... Three, one, one, case, you're just in time with the real Don Stewart. Pops out like that, you know. Uh, I can uh, see At least that. I feel better now. Okay, good. Right. Very good. I'm glad you feel better. I'm glad that got out there. Mm-hmm. Well, we hope you enjoyed that clip. It ties right into what we've been talking about with Mike and his uh, many solo efforts. And speaking of such... That's right. We've got another. We've got a special bonus. We're going to fast forward to 1994, 20 years later. The uh, concert, if I remember correctly, was in Houston, Texas, or Dallas, Texas, one of the two. It is Nez. I was born in Texas and grew up in Houston, or vice versa. That, what's that, uh, what is that spread you own, sir? Is it's called Houston, sir. Right, He's but, in garbage disposal. But um, <laughs> this is for, uh, for those of you who remember, uh, this was the flowery shirt this was after this was after the off-roading race with the Triumph hats and the and the bandanas around the neck. Turquoise was, belt buckles. Yeah, this well, yeah, I can't remember if he had moved to New Mexico at that time or not, but he was wearing the Hawa- the Harwarian Flaherty shirt. How are you? Harwarian. I'm hey, fine. No, no, wait, wasn't uh, Turquoise belt buckles? That was a Nez solo album, wasn't it? No. Oh, I must be thinking of Mark. Uh, Tana, you're thinking of Tantamount to Turquoise. <laughs> Two, three, four. Now that I gotta gotta give you. Utmost props for that. From a radio engine to a turquoise wing. <laughs> the Mike Nesmith story. See, too bad he used Infinite Tuesday. It could have been... Infinite turquoise? <laughs> Tapioca turquoise. You know what we need to do? We need to find that Greg Kinnear interview and put the plug... The, 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 this is for editing out purposes. We need to find that little quote in the Greg Kinnear... They say if you don't wear, if you wear too much turquoise, it just spreads like, like a rash or something like that. But yeah. In that same interview, Mike says, I don't want to be that guy that ends up in Hawaiian shirts and turquoise out in New Mexico. It's like, well, Mike, what happened? So... What we found is we've called uh, a clip from this particular concert. What? Called. Called. Oh, is he, look, he's going after the button. No. Oh, oh. No. C U L L E D. It's okay. It means cut, Mr. Cheatham. It means cut. Edit. Can, can you loosen his collar just a bit? At least just loosen it. 
Look, I'm sorry I didn't, you didn't like the real Don Steele, but damn it! Uh, he's writing things down like, oh, like there's no tomorrow. I don't. Okay, remind me, remind me to stop payment on the check for him. Okay. I think so. Yeah. Maybe just, so. just this episode will be a trial run for uh, Mr. Cheatham. So, but uh, what we've done is this is a very special. This is one one you don't hear very often, unless of course you have the Nez music, or is it the newer stuff? I think it's the newer stuff. Uh, newer stuff collection. Correct. Uh, all right. So, uh, this is actually from Television Parts. All right. So. Live and direct from Texas with the Hellcasters, here is Armando the Newt with Total Control. How many people here from Thank <laughs> you. 
Hope you enjoyed that. Now we're back, and here comes that promised remix of a vocalist, Day We Fall In Love. I just want to say that, uh, Alan, uh, are you okay? You're looking, <coughs> again, you're, you all right? I, I don't know, Alan's coming over here. There will be birds singing everywhere, and the wind will be blowing through your hair. Could you... So, ladies and gentlemen, here it is, without me being annoying, on the day we fall. In love. Mr. Cheatham, m- m- che- tighten the collars. Yeah, tighten the back. Thank you. Thank you. What a fanfare. What'd you play that for? It's time for the new segment on our show. Watch it. Remember, I got the shot collar on, not you. Now, wait, we covered this at the beginning of the show. We should okay. be good. I'm watching him. He's, he's, he's got his finger right on that button. But it's time for the Peter plug. And why are we plugging Peter? Because Peter has a brand new Shoe Suede Blues CD. Easy for you to say. What's the title of that fabulous CD? Relax Your Mind. And I believe a family member... Are you talking to me or is that the title? No, no. Uh, yes. 
man, I'm, I'm like, I'm like, man. No, 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 I'm not the colors again. Colors, not the colors again. again. It's like you know, you tell kids about like the facts of life, I and mean, they don't really know that. They know they're cosmically attuned, man. It's like Jim Starlin's Warlock comic. Whoa, 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 whoa! Whole ow, big ow. thing. With oh, oh, yeah. Oh, oh, man. See, that's I'm what back. you get for not putting the shot collar on Ooh. him. All right, so Al, Al, you got off on the comics tangent again, and that's a, uh, that's an episode for a few. That's another future episode too. So. Hint, hint. All right, so um, yes, Peter. It. Wait, Peter. The album cover of "Relax Your Mind" is done by a family member, if I remember. You mean Knick, remember? Knick Torkelson. Remember, Rubber Baby Bubba Bubbers. You mean Knick Torkelson? Rubber Baby, Bubba the man Bubbers. who wrote, co-wrote "Terrifying." Right, and didn't he also co-write "Pirates"? No, he yeah. wrote co-wrote one of the songs on uh, Stranger, "Stranger Things," Things which happened. was also a great CD. Yep. So all Peter's CDs are great. Go out and buy this new CD, "Shoe Suede Blues." Mm-hmm. Uh, relax your mind. It is a tribute to the great blues singer Lead Belly. What'd you call me? Lead Belly. I've been dieting all all month. It's not nice. <laughs> You're not nice. But uh, it, it is a great tribute CD, as you can see. It, and, and the great news is, it's been sold out. Uh, CD Bay, I think it's called. But it's if you go to the uh, if you go to the official Peter Tork Facebook page, you, they've got it all over there, and it's sold out twice. So that's very encouraging. Very encouraging. Fabulous, fabulous. And what we've heard of it so far is great. Mm-hmm. And now, having plugged Peter's uh, new CD, Eaters are personal. Eaters had Eater Torque. Hi. Thank you. That weaves into our next topic, which um, Jody talked about this recently on her page because um, with the new Mickey Dolan's t shirt design, which both you and I picked as our favorites because they right. uh, to, to go on the Flower Power Cruise, which Jody will be talking about in just a little bit. Um, they talked about T-shirt design, or they talked about what would you like to see on a T-shirt. Or just any new Monkeys merchandise. Or if you could have any piece of merchandise, what would you most like to have? What would you I, most if, like to see? If I could have anything, I'd go back and get one each of the the eight button, the color eight button shirts. Yes. That any above nice. anything else in the world. Well, I've got a lot of the shirts that came out, and, and um, I like uh, having the album covers on shirts. I like the logo. What I don't like is something that's been prevalent the last few years at these concerts, sometimes concerts without Mike, sometimes concerts now, unfortunately, without Davey, mm-hmm. now without Peter, is when they take, say, the Headquarters album cover, and they cut out said member. Well, it's it's like the um, in the 86 tour, that started it because... They took that clip from the uh, from the from Success Story, I believe it is, where they're all like, and then there's Mickey, there's Davy, Mickey, and Peter, and all of a sudden we know what's supposed to be there, and he ain't there. Very badly airbrushed out, I remember yeah. too. And also the the famous um, director chair yeah. photo where, mm-hmm. and that just involved cutting off the end of the photo. Mm-hmm. But there's something very distasteful about that to me. Um, now well, it's not be, complete. I mean, it's not complete to be honest. Right. To me. Now, to be fair, you and I have never been big on the merchandise as far as the Chotskys. Is that how you say it? Says the man who I can look at and see. Right. Well, yeah. Seven monkeys. Seven monkey mobiles. No. <laughs> all me. sorts of. All sorts of uh, trust me, folks. Few. If you could see the room in here, one of these days we might take. I might put a video clip up on the on the Blogspot page or on the on the Facebook page, just so you can see where we actually record and see some of the stuff that my that my podcast partner has. Because I'm looking at a monkey mobile, a monkey's lunchbox, and what the what what is that sitting on top of the lunchbox? I forget. The little pretend box of cereal that came. With ah, it. I got you. But, oh, but seriously. Just if you think about just the stuff that's come out since the revival days, yeah, I, I I've got very little of it. Um, yeah, because a few monkey mobiles, um, even the older stuff I don't like because to be honest, a lot of that stuff is just ugly. 
The monkeys showbiz babies are great. They have uh, really good likenesses. The finger doll, the finger puppet, the Remco finger dolls. Mm-hmm. There was just a lot of cheap junk put out then. Yeah, because they didn't have the talent to be able to recreate it to make it look normal as they do now. Well, funny you should mention that. Now they should be able to do that, and they still can't, whether you're talking about the bobbers or the monkeys action figures. I know Jody's going to hate me saying that. Well, all you have to do is take a look at the four monkey, the the four, um, the Archie Monkeys comics that just came out. The covers are okay, but the internal art, it looks as if nobody ever showed them pictures of the four guys for reference. That's just not hiring the right artist. Mm -hmm. But seriously, very little of the merchandise appeals to me. I'd like to have great monkey stuff. Um, But I know other people, they they like that. Same with the superhero stuff. I know Mm -hmm. you think I've got a lot. This is one. Oh, heck no. One hundredth of what comes out for Batman in a year let alone 50 years of Batman merchandise. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But to some people, their thing is, I've got to have every monkey's thing. I've got to have every Batman thing. And that's mm-hmm. fine. Mm-hmm. To me, if it's you've just, got the money, that's fine, man. That's great. To me, it's just more stuff to dust, and a lot of it just doesn't look... And when you go, it's just more of, more of a pain in the butt for the people you leave behind to deal with. But that's right. But my thing was, uh, and we were joking about this at lunch today, if they're going to put out a t- what I'd love to see on a t-shirt that I'd buy in a heartbeat is that image of the four of them during the taping of what am I doing hanging around because to me that's it that is that's why it was my favorite song for so long but it's just the way that it the way that that four the way that they're set up right there is just great of course we also of course then you remember the other one I the other one I wanted be nice if we could get uh, an image of Mickey Mike and Davey or Mickey Mike and Peter on one side dressed up from a nice place to visit and my favorite who is this El Diablo on the other side say if you listen to Monkeys Present, Indescribable Torture. If you listen to Pull It, Indescribable Torture. Wait, I thought that was Pull It versus Justice. Okay, if you listen to Pull It, it's Indescribable Torture. If you listen to Justice, Indescribable Torture. And to further plug past episodes, episode 6 and 7, The Big Just Us versus Pull It. Heard it here, and if you haven't, if you haven't heard it, go back and listen, and see where you come down on this controversial controversy. She's moving in with Rico. Oh boy. She's moving in with Rico. Does that tell you enough, folks? Right there. <laughs> you know, one of the pieces of recent merchandise, and I say recent, meaning not original, sixty merchandise. One of the best pieces. The poncho? Uh, no, not the poncho. <laughs> um, is Rhino's card set that they did in 96, I think? Yeah. Great images. They, they went and raided Henry Diltz's vault. And I still say, someone needs to make a great talk about merchandise. Go to Henry. Look at every monkey's candid picture he's got, because that's what I love. The yeah. backstage stuff, the, the concert cool. stuff. We've only seen the tip of the iceberg. We've only seen photos. what they want us to see. Well, the tip of the iceberg with Henry's stuff. And the card set had some great shots from him. And, uh, that's, that, where, and that's where we got that image that... Because I had you recreate it for a sketch years ago, and that's the one you sent—one of the ones you sent to Maggie—that appeared on one of the covers of uh, Monkey Business Fanzine. The, the the lineup from What Am I Doing Hanging Around? I think so. Yes. Yeah. Um, but there's something right there to uh, to think about—a nice uh, picture book. And Rhino did put out some nice books back hey, then. Here were the monkeys. What I didn't like was. Um, the stuff that ended up in Spencer's gifts. The bathrobes, the inflatable chairs. Oh, that was pretty cool. What, you yeah. got the director's chair, you got the pillow. The director's the, chair was nice. You know? Yes. Because all, all of us always wanted a monkey's mm-hmm. director's yeah, chair. And I like to say, I still would love to be able to go back in time, raid Gene Ashman's uh, closet, and steal one of each 
one of each color of those eight button shirts because those were just so cool. Alan, just say it. Just say it. You want a reproduction line of the J.C. Penney's wardrobe? No. Oh. I do not want a reproduction. Have you seen those shoes, man? Those are geeky. Uh, one man's geeky is another man's chic. Ah, uh, whatever. <laughs> Come on, a nice vest with a big blousy orange polka dot. Uh... The only thing I liked about the only thing I liked about in looking at. Reach for it. Reach. Thank you. And breathe. Now breathe and relax. Rest. Okay. The only thing I liked remotely was Peter's shirt because of the vertical stripes and the white collar and the white cuffs. I always liked that. Yep. But you can't find that day now again. Reach. Oh, we got a groin pull. Oh, rest. Rest. Here's some ice. Here's some ice. Okay. Oh, wait. I said groin. That's allowed. Keep your finger off the button, Mr. Uh, Cheatham. Thank you. Relax. Relax. I think he's I think he's settled in. He's getting some color back in his cheeks. Anyway, merchandise. It's interesting. Um... And the tour stuff's always interesting because mm-hmm. they do try to make a wide variety, like cheap maracas for, for the lesser uh, uh, amount wait, of money. Wait, 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 Did you say tour stuff? Yes, I did. Hey, you know what? Yes. After we talked to Jody, I got an idea. Yes. We'll get back to that in just a couple minutes. That's what we call in the business a teaser. And then we cut back to Nikki. And then we cut back to us. That's for those. That's for the benefit of those of you that have tuned in late. Now back to our story. And another fun way, another real reason I wanted the monkey's director chair is now during these episodes, and we're a minute short. Of course, I Alan makes me sit in the director's chair and answer inane questions just to fill up the, the last minute of the podcast. But well, yeah, well, we're still looking for those those little uh, filter lights. So you can do pick a card, any card, do the do the it's card a blue trick. Gel. Okay, blue gel. Thank this you. This is a red maraca. Wait, that's a whole different. Thing. I want a pair of red maracas. Now, in the 70s, I was 10 years old in 1975, and Mego, back then the preeminent, mm-hmm. only real manufacturer of action figures, they made the superhero line, they came out with Star Trek and Planet of the Apes, and I remember looking at that stuff going, those are old properties, why can't you make a monkey set? I even imagined the scale monkey mobile, mm-hmm. which in typical Mego fashion would be a little too small. It would be a 164. Right, just because, remember the Batmobile was yeah. a little too small for the Batman and Robin figures. Oh, yeah. but, but I didn't know, of course, the monkeys weren't as popular in reruns as, of course, Star they Trek were, was. They were passe back then, my well, friend. They were on every day after school, but they were not Star Trek level. No. Uh-uh. You know, that's how no. Star Trek got its second win was through those 70s reruns. Mm-hmm. So now we finally get action figures, and they're a little underwhelming, shall we say. A little overwhelming. <laughs> That's like saying hash my pre- hashtag not my president is a little bit dumb. Um, wait. What's now? That's me pressing the button. What's dumb about that right now? Um, please no others. Says, says no. the man who has a dump Trump bumper sticker on the back of his monkey mobile. I got two actually because one was stolen, believe it or not, and mm-hmm. I just whipped that new one out and stuck it right on there, baby. Anyway, <laughs> um, but for me, I've never been about the stuff. It's been about the photos, the shirts. It's been the music. I mean, you know. Uh, oh, well, one great thing I want to mention. Mm-hmm. Same time, mid-90s, the 30th anniversary. Mm-hmm. Johnny Lightning and their fabulous Monkey Mobile mm-hmm. reissues. Now, I yeah. had an original Corgi mm-hmm. back in the days. Alan's looking at it on my shelf. Of course, the first thing I did was rip the figures out of it. Stupid me. <laughs> in 1972. Yep. Bought it new. Um, But they made some great Monkey Mobile reproductions. They, they made uh, the Mickey Dolan's racers with monkey mm-hmm. motif um, yep. wraps. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I'm not a completist. I bought one or two that had the nice display cards of the whole group. Because remember, you could buy the same card, but they had different trading cards in the, oh, yeah. in the clamshell. Uh, Hollywood on Wheels, it was called. I'm looking at my one or two right now. Mm-hmm. Okay, to be fair, looking over, I've got the reproduction monkey mobile on display. I've got the Monkey's Viewmaster pack. My Monkey's model I made in the early 90s, Monkey Mobile model. 
say that ten times fast. Um, there was a. There was a monkey baby, puppy monkey baby. There was a. I stopped him in his tracks, folks. There was a model kit manufacturer for hardcore uh, kit freaks back in the early nineties that would do limited reproductions. This is the only way you get the monkey mobile model kit back then, and it was called the Blueprinter or something like that. So that's on display. Um, the monkey's lunchbox from Rhino. One mm-hmm. monkey's ad. I have another shelf with a few more monkey mobiles and some you know, backstage passes. Mm-hmm. I do have an original monkey's 60s belt buckle. The same one you see Davey wearing on the 1967 tour book cover. Mm-hmm. Of course, it broke a few years ago. I was livid. Maybe that's why they call me Lead Belly. I, I can pull <laughs> belt buckles right off of my prodigious yeah. middle section. Maybe what you should do is um, when you prepare the backstory stuff for this that goes on the blog, blog spot page, which you should be checking out, honestly, because there is so much stuff there. You would not believe the exhaustive research that Al does that goes through <gasps> to put all this stuff. <sighs> Yeah, no, uh, was it good? Was, was it good for you? <laughs> so short but sweet. Um, no, it's like a visual addendum. I could, I, I could do an Al Bundy joke in there. Pig, hold on to yourself for the best thirty seconds of your life. Um, no, it's like a visual um, uh, companion, so to speak, to what you hear here. Hear here, what you hear on this podcast. That's right, and you should check it out because there is some really good stuff that doesn't make it to the group pay, Facebook page, but. Ma- why you should do is just take some take a picture or two of the corner and over there where you have the you other. You mean I've got to dust everything? No, you oh don't have to gosh. dust it. Ah, uh, these people are our friends. They see That's how right. I live. That's right. They see me without the wig and the, just the, don't put. Just make sure that you keep the cassette the cassette holders out out of everything. It's like people are going to wonder what is a cassette. Well, what's wrong with cassettes? It's, I got the seventy eight cylinders in there too. All right. All right. So. Now, now here's one weird monkey uh, merchandise story uh, tidbit. I have this memory, and, and I've heard a few other people, a few other people, back me up on this. In the early '70s, maybe '72 or '3, I was in a drugstore. You know, I'll pipe that in, <laughs> like I did in what episode? No, two? Do, please, please do not put Streisand. I do not want Barbara Streisand in the background on our podcast. You don't remember period. episode two and, and one? I oh yeah, wait, wait, wait come think, Yeah, you did. Okay, never mind. Um, no more. There's a moratorium on that then. Uh, I'm going to do it. Uh, no one tells Hulk what to do. <laughs> no, I remember being in a drugstore, like a Pathmark in New Jersey, and I swear to you there was a metal monkey's lunchbox. Now, we all know in the 60s there was that vinyl one with the, the painted heads, and in yeah. fact, the monkey's logo was actually created by the same guy that designed the lunchbox. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, that may be a future uh, episode right there. Anyway, mm-hmm. and I've heard a few other people tell me they've seen it. And you know what was on it? Pictures from the... Um, Session, you know the the sleeve for the monkeys uh, stepping stone mm-hmm. single. They're out frolicking. Yeah. And looks like a, a new housing. Yeah. Scene. Those pictures where you're looking up at the guys are playing with a two by four. Mm-hmm. I've never seen this in any monkeys collectibles book. I've never seen it since. But I swear. And no, it wasn't the Archies. It wasn't the Beatles. This, this may be a question for us to reach out to either Gary Strobel or Fred. Oh, by the way, before I forget, Fred Velez. We hope you're feeling better, man. Uh, yes. We know you've had some issues along with the, and, and this is a com- uh, sidebar. Um, we understand that you've been ill lately, and we're thinking about you. We're praying for you. Uh, same goes for the Podfather. Um, he has not been well lately, from what you've been telling me. So, um, guys, get better. You're part of the, you're part of our family, and we miss you. 
fast recovery to both of you. Yes. Anyway, that's it. Uh, that I just remembered that um, mm-hmm. metal lunchbox. Well, you remember, and then the before '86, they came out with buttons. You know, there were there were monkey buttons because I used to work at one of them things they called a recasto, and we had buttons, and the and the guys were you know they had a logo, and then I think they had one each of the guys, and that was about it. But there used to be an early '80s thing called the uh, Monkeys Button Club back when I was first hearing about the. Conventions Maggie was putting together with Chuck Rosenay and Fred. Here's some shout-outs that names you remember, too. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyway, so to wrap this up, do you have any last words on Monkey's merchandise? I think we've seen what we want to see. Yeah. Stop cutting guys out of the uh, the pictures, uh, folks. Uh, I'll be happy if you do that. Yeah, and, and shirts that don't look like what the Monkey Files wear. And that's nothing, that's nothing against the great cover band, the Monkey Files, but they just wear T-shirts that have the... I want... Well, you know... If I remember correctly, weren't they advertised in Goldmine back at the monkey 30th? business? Monkey business and the 30th, but around '96, they did. Um, there were ads in Goldmine for that, I believe. Mm-hmm. And, but and yeah. also during the '86 convention, I remember they mm-hmm. had uh, some. Well, they just had one on eBay recently. Uh, I think it was a remake because it was like a it was like a light pale green that I'd never seen before. And I don't remember that, but I really want one of the red or the dark blue. That would be cool. So very cool. So, um, powers that be, make it happen. I mean, if you can give us the poncho on the on the 50th anniversary, give us eight button shirts on the next tour. Well, I think they just went to a uh, carpet outlet and said, "What do you got that we can buy cheap and punch holes in?" No, they actually cloned every one of those. They they've got a Mickey's original poncho and cloned it. Yeah, I heard. About I still that. want. I still want to. I, I still want a copy, or I still want one of the uh, the sweater with all the concrete on it from from the London story where he, he picked it up and put it, the the story that Davy tells where he's out. He's he's running on like fifteen minutes of sleep or been up for like twenty eight straight hours. He walks out in the morning, sees this in the in the gutter, and it's a sweater covered with concrete and everything. And he puts it on and goes out and preaches to the crowd, my children, and everything. Yes, you, you the Hyde Park story. story. The Hyde Park story. Yes, indeed. So. Is that the? Is Hyde Park in San Francisco? Though? No, Hyde Park is in. Uh, no, it's in it's in Britain. Okay, good. Right, so I still retain my mad geography skills. So, yeah, but yes, uh, no, that's a and uh, let's a wrap W R A P on that on the merchandise. So. I like a pun that. in there somewhere. Like you can wrap a poncho around your shoulders, play a timpani, and she's a one. Oh, oh, that's oh right. You oh, almost no. forgot. No, no, I'm gonna let Jody talk about. Yes. All right. So I think that's an inspired, wonderful thing she's done. A and, great. And uh, the light bulb really went off over her head that absolutely. day. Absolutely. And speaking of cues, that sounds like a great cue. I'll let you want to introduce. You know. She's been on our podcast the last few episodes. She's a new member of our fabulous trio here. She is the monkey's agent and event organizer. That's right. She organizes the monkey meet and greets for both Nez and for Mickey. That's a lot of organizing. That's right. And uh, she's basically responsible for getting these set up. She has done it. You guys, if you have not followed her on Facebook, you need to because there is some seriously good bleep coming up. I think he got away with that. He, and he's, he's, yeah, okay. He's nodding. Yeah. I said bleep. That's why. Wait, he's, thumbs up? No, wait, he's raising one finger toward us, but... Oh, we're number one? Oh, okay. Ah, he means... No, I'm sorry. I, I can't do that Monday Night Football. That Nobody will ever remember that. All right, come in, Jody. And we're happy to have, once again, Jody Ritson back on. Jody, what's new in your corner of monkeydom? <laughs> Monkey land. Um, hi, guys. How you doing? Great. I'm doing wonderful. Thank you. 
Well, good, good. Okay, so let's start with what we've got going on. I guess I can do this in chronological order. Um, first of all, we had such an incredible response from the Valentine's Day uh, special that Mickey was doing with the drum heads. Um, we had three different drum heads that he did limited for Valentine's Day. One of them said, um, she's a wonderful lady and she's mine, all mine. One was, um, I'll spend my life with you. And the other one was, as we go along. And we had so many orders for them. It just, it was very, it was unbelievable. So I'm hoping everybody will send me their pictures of them holding their drum heads because I want to do something special with it. And, and that everybody. was in that was in response to you actually going on your page and saying, "What would you like to have Mickey write?" Is that correct? Yes. You know, I was on the phone with him, and I said to him, "Before you go, listen, I have an idea for Valentine's Day. How about if you do one of the drum heads and sign it? Uh, she's a wonderful lady, and she's mine, all mine, and do it in red and put a heart on it." And he's like, "Oh, that's such a great idea. Okay, I'm going to do it right now." And so he did that, and then we were trying to um, figure out what would be sort of a song that would be unisex. So in doing that, we played around with a lot of different songs, and Al was actually one of the, um, Al Williams was one of the people who had come up with the uh, I'll Spend My Life With You, because that can go both ways. That's kind of a for any relationship, that one works. I can make um, an 80s Davy joke right now. You took um, the words right out of my I mouth. I won't do it. I won't go there. <laughs> what were you going to say? And the only person to swing both ways was Tarzan. There, I beat you to oh. it. You are so funny. Yeah, we uh, yeah, we have um, we've really just stepped it up just with some of the ideas that we had because I'm not really into gifts from target or walmart or k jewelers i'm more of a personalized person i like stuff that's different and you know of course when i told my husband this is what i wanted he just like looked at me and laughed um so uh i didn't get my drum head but i hope that everybody will send me pictures of them with their drum heads uh then we have this really cool thing i'm so excited about um where we're doing karaoke with mickey and that kind of comes because over the past couple of years of me having sort of um, this group of, of friends that are Monkey fans, especially Mickey and Nez fans, uh, they had come to me and said their dream was if they could ever one day sing with Mickey. And, of course, no. that I don't know how I would even make that work. You know, you, so... I've been playing around with some ideas, and Mickey really wants to step up what we do for Make-A-Wish this year. He's very big into Make-A-Wish, as everybody knows. A portion from all proceeds of his stuff always goes to Make-A-Wish. So what we played around with and talked about was karaoke with Mickey, where basically we're going to take over a bar restaurant and those who are donating um, for this particular thing, they will be able to share the microphone with Mr. Dolans. We have one that it's for two hours also, which is crazy incredible. We have one in Florida that is the day before Mickey performs in Florida. It's the Villages area. 
and it is um, going to be at a restaurant there that is so thrilled. They're doing all sorts of stuff to be able to nominate or to, I'm sorry, raise money for Make-A-Wish. Then the next day, we have Mickey performing at the Sharon L. Morse uh, Performing Arts Center. Um, so that's March 9th and March 10th. So no matter what, and we have a meet and greet after that, and we have to party because it's Mickey's birthday on March 8th, so we have to make sure that we uh, have a lot of fun. Just re- just go easy on the candles on the cake. We don't You don't want to set off the smoke alarm wherever you're at, right? Oh, no, 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 no. Plus, I was with, he was with me for my birthday this year, and I will be with him for his birthday this year. So I can't think of a better way that I would want to celebrate anything, to be quite honest with you. Mickey is just, he's my idol. So then, because the East Coast is where we have, I think my majority of followers are on the East Coast, Mm -hmm. because that's where I reside, um, Mickey is doing an autograph show April 27th, 28th, and 29th in New Jersey near the Meadowlands at the East Coast Comic Con. So we decided let's do karaoke that Saturday night, which is April 28th. I found this awesome location. They had Elvis there, Goldie Hawn there. They had Bill Haley and the Comets there. They're going to host this to raise money for Make-A-Wish. The one thing that I found now, thank God my children are healthy, um, but both places that I've called, both were on the receiving ends of what Make-A-Wish can do. Mm -hmm. So one of them lost their child the other one the child overcame leukemia so they were very big into um they were very big into getting um themselves together um and 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 you know raising money and and they're very big into the charity and stuff and so it means a lot that we can, you know, give back and that this place is on board with us. I'm going to say that that's got to make it a whole lot more enjoyable or, or you know, a lot of a lot of good karma is going to come from that. I it's really amazing. And he is so generous with with the donations. I mean, he gives more to make a wish than I make in a year. But that's a whole nother thing. But, you know. I mean, those those children and those families do need it. So we are going to be April 28th in New Jersey, in Secaucus, um, which is North Jersey. We have three spaces left, but we have room for extra guests because I would like to get as many donations as humanly possible. Absolutely. So we have that, and then we have the Comic-Con that weekend. Now, and then we're I don't getting mean to interrupt ready. you, but I've got a yeah. suggestion for the for the karaoke nights. Okay. You have to have a lottery as to who gets to who gets to do I'm a believer, who gets to do me and Magdalena, and that's it. One one performance per karaoke. Well, I was hoping people aren't going to pick monkey songs. I mean, I was actually thinking to myself, what song would I do, which I would never ever ever do. But I mean, I don't think I would do a monkey song. So I'm hoping people don't necessarily want to do monkey songs, even though several have express wanting to do me and magdalena which i don't know why anybody would want to go there that's like somebody trying to do a whitney houston song they're trying to recreate the star spangled banner like whitney did but yeah i don't want to make it a roseanne moment you know now Um, i told you before i thought i would want to do uh just once in my life off of uh, king for a day but i've changed that 
Uh oh, why? I, I have been well. If you remember, about three or four months or so ago, I posted a clip of the Joe Cocker version of "Unchain My Heart." Yes. And to me, I was, I've always said I'd love to see him do this on a solo album, but we don't know if there's any more solo projects coming down. So at least I would be paying my money to get to hear him sing part of that song. So, And I've been practicing, too, because I got that ground down now. So I can do the Joe Cocker with, with him, but if if I could be there, that would be what, that would be my choice. I don't, you know, I was thinking of Frank Sinatra last night. Um, I, I, what was the, um, maybe how lucky or um, ain't that a kick in the head? Which I know is Dean Martin. You well, know, something. You probably want to do I, something like I, I, "Come Fly I, with I, Me" or "Fly Me to the Moon" or "I've Got You Under My Skin." Oh, you know what it was? It was Mac the Knife. I could picture Mickey doing Mac the Knife. Mick the oh, yeah. Knife. Perfect. All right, so we need good. to make sure that we have enough alcohol in you to get on stage to sing that with him. There's not enough alcohol to get me on stage. And I wouldn't do it words. on a bet because everybody would hate me if they heard how bad I sing. Oh, please. I mean, I, I could really, I could, I could really scare some folks. But um, so that's what we have going on, and we have a lot of people coming for that. And then, in addition, um, we have some news coming up about the Mickey and Mike dates. So I'm excited about hearing that. I have to save that announcement for for the bosses to do properly, so that I don't get in trouble. Oh, uh, is there nothing we could do to get that out of you? No, I'm not going to lose her over this, Al. We've got what you know. It's it'll it'll come soon enough. I, trust me. I'm just so impatient. It'll be like that Archie's Monkey comic book you finally got. Uh, hopefully this will be worth the wait, though. I'm very excited to uh, see this, and we're still waiting to find out um, what's going on with Nez's tour, but mm-hmm. everything in time. We have to save up a lot of money, I have a feeling. Yeah. Uh, and then we've got other big stuff that's coming. We're still um, with the new T-shirt trying to sell those. So if you want to go on monkeymeetandgreets.com, I will uh, be able to help you. And um, you, you could see the different dates. We've got stuff coming. Subscribe because I'm constantly sending some information um, out to everybody. And just keep following um, on Facebook. We've got the cruise coming up. Felix Cavalieri. We're going to do something live with him. If you check out Felix um, the Rascals, Felix Cavalieri's Rascals page on Facebook, it's going um, to be a lot of fun. And Jody, I understand the uh, there's still some there's some new merchandise coming in at Video Ranch regarding the FNB tour. Yeah, they have the new pins that were, uh, the new pins, the new bags. They got more of the shirts because they sold out. And we have coming up for President's Day something very very special that everybody wants and needs in their house. You mean my own customized personalized nudie suit? That's very close. Uh-oh. Oh, I'll say no more. I'll, I don't want to ruin that, but yes, that's uh, great. I may have to switch from fedoras. Is that what you're telling uh, me, Jody? No more. Say no more. <laughs> I don't think that's going to be necessary, though we do have a baseball hat that has the cowboy hat on there, so it's a hat on a hat. Ah, uh, well. Now, getting back real quick to the fabulous drumhead 
promotion. Um, I heard that you and Mickey actually did some uh, brainstorming as far as what could be written on the drum. Um, tell us a little bit about that. You guys just sitting down, tossing out lyrics and things like that. So what happened was, you know, we were we we're on the phone trying to figure out lyrics and there were some lyrics like going down or um, I want to be free, you know, things, subtle things that you don't want to give your loved one on the day when Cupid is supposed to be, you know, giving them a heart. You don't want to uh, make it, you know, a perverted sexual um, or goodbye note <laughs> on or, a drum Is that wrong? That's a wrong thing? Or ask mommy, well, why does she take all those little pills? Yes, yes, there were certain things that we realized were inappropriate for the moment. There were a couple others, but we started getting really silly. Bye-bye, um, baby, goodbye. <laughs> well, you know what? I think I said that one. And then um, I had asked him about Oh My My because I was having like a brain a brain fart and I couldn't think. And I said, who? And I was in the car driving. And I said, who wrote Oh My My? Did you write it? And he goes, I don't know. Did I? Wait, let me look it up. And Mickey's Googling it on the phone and Googling it on the computer while we're on the phone. And I said, I don't think anybody would believe our conversation right now. And he said, what? That I don't remember what I sang or wrote. He's like, that was 500 million songs ago. Mm -hmm. But it's just so funny when, you know, Mickey's Googling, you know, the stuff that he recorded. I just find it to be funny because... Any one of you guys in a heartbeat, I could say something and you would know it. Um, Sadly, it's so funny. <laughs> yes. So you know, but um, but and, and you know, it's funnier is that I bet you he'd know the Beatles over the Monkeys. Mm-hmm. That's true. Well, like I said, uh, like I said, you can give him my cell number. You can give him the uh, the podcast email, the tpchcmp at uh, gmail dot com. one. Something yeah. like that. You know, yeah. Jody, I work as a uh, freelance um, commercial artist, and people come to my home and they say, you've got the work of other artists on your wall. Why don't you hang up your stuff? And I'm like, well, I look at my stuff all day, and I'm not a fan of my stuff. I mean, I like it, and I do my best, but I guess that's like the same with these artists. They don't sit around listening to their stuff. They listen to what they like, and they mm-hmm. take inspiration from. Yeah. yeah. That's, well, well, you, you got to remind Mickey, it's kind of hard to get lines out of these stream of consciousness consciousness type songs that he wrote during that time. You mean a red balloon got in my way is not something you'd write to a loved one? No, I like the yeah or the midnight train line, I'll kick your head from here to hell, better know I can do it well. I'm gonna buy me a dog. Jody mentions um I wanna be free and I remember um going to the eighty six reunion concerts. Davy sings that and everyone's got their lighters lit. And they're swaying, and, and my wife turned to me and like, this is not really a love song. This is really a terrible song Yep. about, I, I don't want to be your boyfriend, you know? Yes, I want to go sleep around. Right. That's exactly what it was about. Don't say you love me. Say you like me. I'll tell you something. I, I'll tell you, I, I was actually having a conversation with my husband over the weekend and said, you know, I've noticed, and I and myself, I'm one of them. You know, I'm not really an interviewer or anything like that. But you know, I've, I'm starting to do these Facebook Live things with some of my new clients, and I don't know why so many people have questions about the Beatles for other bands. Like, 
the, you know what I mean? Like, why are we asking when, when they've got careers that are 50 years, why are we asking about where are you friends with the Beatles? What do you think about the Beatles? Like almost like they're the pinnacle of, of everything out there. But, um, you know, and I, I think I found two things. They're either fans or there's jealousy. Oh yeah, well if I'm if I'm talking to Felix, I'm sure as hell not going to ask him about Hendrix or the Beatles. I'm going to ask him about a girl like you or a Groovin, or what does he think of like for example for Felix, what does he think of the people constantly screwing up the line "you and me and Leslie Groovin" instead of endlessly grooving? It's just unbelievable. I'm trying to get him to sing "Groove" or "Cruising on a Sunday Afternoon." That's what I'm trying to do. <laughs> Perfect. But um, but I'm so glad to talk to you guys. Just um, keep on doing what you're doing. I know that the episode that we did about with Nez on there was like crazy amazing, and I know we've got a lot of cool things in store for everybody for this year. Absolutely. Well, Jody, as always, we are now officially less than two weeks away from the Flower Power Cruise. So, tell everybody who all beside Mickey and Felix is going to be there on the on the on the Flower Power Cruise. So Flower Power Cruise had, oh God, my kid just asked me the same question. Um, Mickey, Mark Lindsay, um, Mark Dawson with the grassroots. Um, uh, 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 I want to say Gary Puckett's on next year. Uh, this year, Peter Noon. Um, 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 I don't remember every, there's so many people, but the wine tasting is with Felix and that's awesome. Absolutely. Well, listen, um, I'm sure that we will talk privately before that, but have a wonderful time. Um, keep, well, next time we talk, we'll go over what, how the flower per, how the flower, 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 take two. Yeah. We'll go over how the flower power cruise went. Uh, tell Mark Lindsay we appreciate his work. Tell Felix we love him. He's a god. And tell Mickey he still owes us an episode. Absolutely. I will make sure to do all of that stuff. You guys just have an awesome rest of, uh, of February, and I will be talking to you when I come back all tan and everything. All right, my dear. Don't forget the seasick pills, but just remember what happened to Nez when he took them. Well, I, listen, we don't need them. We drink so much that we're cockeyed the opposite way. We're oh. right about where we need spoken to be. Like a, spoken like a true love boat. Uh, That's uh, love right. Boat, uh, yep. A land That's lover. right. All, All right, right Jody, take care. We'll talk to you soon. See you later. Well, Jody, thank you so much, darling. It is always good to talk to you. And uh, is it time? Once again, uh, I see Mr. Cheatham over there. Wait, He's wait, waving wait, frantically. Wait, before we do that. Oh. Let's do some shout-outs, not just to the aforementioned Podfather and Fred Velez. Fred Velez. Mm -hmm. We also want to uh, throw up uh, the Monkeys Live Almanac Facebook page. There are those those guys. If you're looking for information about the guys that you don't want to wander through Wikipedia, their Facebook, their website is absolutely amazing because not only can you find everything you ever wanted to know about the guys and more outside of what Andrew gives you. Um, they have interviews from. They have lots of past interviews, lots of past concert stuff. They're absolutely amazing. I love them to death, except when they beat us to the punch on certain things. But that's another story for another time. And if you're looking for even more rare monkey stuff, may I suggest our own website? Like we said, lots of visual 
Um, well, that uh, would be tpchcmonkeyscast.blogspot.com. And I did that from memory, believe it or not. tpchcmonkeyscast.blogspot.com. Or, of course, our wonderful interactive Facebook page. Or even more monkeys content at my own pop culture page, Big Lee. B-I-G-G-L-E-E dot blogspot dot com. Blah, 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 blah. Wait, wait. Did you mention a past? Hey, that counts. That ties in with fabulous. That would mean we would be talking about episode 13. With Ron Mason. Hey, hey, I think we got a hit. It's only tomato juice. It's tomato juice. Also want to mention a very special member who has pointed out that I've been mangling his name a bit. And what is his name? David Levine. What did I say? Levine earlier? Levin? Levin, something like, yes. Levin Bread. You're talking about Levin Bread? No, that's not what we're talking about. It's David Levine. Right. And for those of you, let me let me explain something about David. David is very knowledgeable about the guys. He's also very talented. If you go to his Facebook page, man, he does a lot of, uh, he does a lot of karaoke. I think he, I think that's his business. But there are a lot of great, there are a lot of great live feeds or a lot of great recordings of him doing karaoke. Uh, at his at the various venues that he performs at, and he does a great job. So he sure does. And we also want to say um, hello to Melanie Mitchell, uh, author of Monkey Magic. She is a another outstanding big uh, big fan. Uh, Christine over at the Zilch Podcast. Of course, we want to mention Zilch. They have done. They did recently did a two for episode. So they're kill, they're still going on uh, really well. We want to wish you guys the best of luck. Hang in there, Ken. Uh, we got you in our thoughts. So oh, those Zilch guys, it's like they're recording two episodes a day or something. Well, hey, if you have the, if you've got the time, if you have the time, with we've got the right. podcast Zilch podcast. Can feel free to use that uh, and the charge, absolutely free. And gratis. I beg your Freebie. pardon. Freebie. Gratis. G R A T I S. Free. Oh, Mr. Mr. Cheatham, he's looking it up in his book. You touch that button, you'll die again, Cheatham. I'm done with this shot collar thing here. Uh, you know what? I think uh, maybe we'll keep his finger off the button if we bring him over here for the disclaimer portion of our show. Ah, yes, Mr. Bickley, that would be wonderful here. Again, hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Lester Cheatham of the law firm of Dewey, Cheatham, and Howe, the legal counsel for the Texas Prairie Chicken Home Companion Monkeys podcast. And I am here to do the legal ease, as they call it, the disclaimers. The Texas Prairie Chicken Home Companion Monkeys podcast is a podcast done by Monkeys fans for Monkeys fans. There is no relationship whatsoever to Rhino Records, Mickey Dolenz, Michael Nesmith, Peter Tork, the estate of the late David Jones, Tommy Boyce, Bobby Hart, Moe, Larry, and Curly, Stan and Ollie, Abbott and Costello, Dean and Jerry... Bob and Bing, and Bingo, Bango, Bongo, and Irving, the mosquitoes. I, I think you've covered it. I think we're covered. Okay. All right. So this, is, this must be a labor of love. All, all items that are used on here, all recordings, the copyrights revert to the current owners. Uh, is that good enough, Mr. Beckley? I think we are covered. Uh, this does is this does this fans? mean does this mean that my check will not be stopped? Uh, I, I think we can go ahead with the check, and uh, maybe next time. Hey, we... uh, hey, cheat him! I got one thing for you. Oh, oh. I teach you to use that damn shot collar on me. Was that necessary? He's look at of course him. Course it was. He's flat as a board on the floor. And let him send over uh, Dewey and Hal. I'll do the same thing to them. Oh, smart ass boy. Remind me never go on your bad side. <laughs> Good heavens. 
So until we meet again for the wonderful Jody Ritson, I am Al El Diablo Williams. This is Al, quote, still too lazy to make up a nickname, unquote, Bigly. Join us again next time for episode 16, where we cover, we go back to the, uh, here, oh, holy crap on a cracker. Jeez. We interrupt these closing credits to bring you a breaking news situation that these two dumbasses forgot to include. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Announcer. Yes, Alan, what is it we almost somehow forgot? What? Boy, what a maroon. What an in-cow poop. Guess what, guys? We got a giveaway. Wait, 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 you mean we have our first contest? Yes, we're going to have a contest. We have some wonderful stuff to give away that we'll be giving away over the next few podcasts. You're going to have a lot of fun with it. So here's what we're going to do. All right, what do, what's the first thing they need to do to be able to go for this contest there, Kimosabi? First of all, you need to be a part of our aforementioned Facebook page, which is the just the group page, which is just Texas Prairie Chicken Home Companion Monkeys right. Podcast Facebook page, easy to find. Because we finally got rid of the like page. Right. After. You've got <laughs> no choice. What an arduous task that was. You've got no choice, man, but to go to the one page, man. That's right. So, now, so we ask that if you're not a member, you join. You know, we approve everybody. Uh, much to our chagrin sometimes, but yes. I mean, I got in for crying out loud. That's right. Uh, I would like to withdraw my membership because any club that would have me as a membership, I don't want to be a part of. And that's the curious, that's the curious uh, club I've ever seen. So oh, you got in my pajamas. I'll never know. Yeah. Right. So what we have is our first, we're going to give you a choice. Well, actually, you know what? We're not going to give him a choice. Ooh. We're going to save that. So Tough guy. what I have in my grubby little hands here is an actual tour program from the 1987 summer tour. Talk about rare. Talk about rare. Talk about medium rare. Talk about, and it is, this is the big one. This is the one where they ended, this is the one that ends in um, Los Angeles with the Greek theater. Which I say ends in a lawsuit. That's right. So every tour. <laughs> and it is in great condition. Al is very good about keeping stuff in great shape. It's so kept in a uh, mayonnaise jar. <laughs> hermetically sealed on Funkin' Wagnalls front, or, or uh, on uh, Armando the Newt's front porch since noon yesterday. So you know it hasn't been touched. That's right. So, here's what you got to do. Once you remember the group, you have to answer the two, you have to answer this two-part question. And everyone that gets both parts right will go into a drawing and we will draw that on we will draw that at the very beginning of the next podcast. So, so here's the question. If train A leaves station W at 4th No, that wait, wrong question. Let me turn the page. I was told there would be no math. <laughs> All right. So, the two-part question is, this goes back to an earlier episode of our, of our podcast. Who is the legendary Los Angeles DJ that somehow takes over my body every now and then that I pay homage to? And what was the monkey song that this DJ broke that literally saved the group? Now, let me repeat that. Who is the legendary Los Angeles AM DJ that I pay homage to on the show numerous times? And in the story, what was the monkey song that he played for the very first time and broke that song that saved the group? And if you're not sure the answer, you can simply go back, go to our webpage, tpchcmonkeyscast.blogspot.com, and just look at some of the fabulous entries for each episode, and then maybe listen to an episode or two, and Mm -hmm. you will have your answer. That's right. It should be pretty apparent which episode will yield Mm -hmm. this answer. That's correct. It will say that, yes. 
uh, something to do with somebody's own words. So that's that's the hint that you're looking for the episode. Correct. So uh, everybody that answers both parts of that correction uh, question correctly will go into the drawing, and we will pull the winner out at the uh, the winner's name out at the start of the next podcast. And Al will take a picture of this and put it up on the Facebook page so you can see what you're what you're playing for. And of course, it'll be on our webpage too, which is what. TPCHCMonkeysCast.blogspot.com. Well, you are good. Mm-hmm. So everyone can see it, see what you're playing for, and like that. All right. So for Jody Ritson, I'm Alan. Uh, wait, wait, wait a minute. He's coming over again with. Uh, do you have to do the, the, the official game disclaimer? No purchase necessary, all that stuff. Nope, there's no purchase necessary. The only qualification is you must be a member of the Texas Prairie Chicken Home Companion Monkeys Podcast Facebook group page in order to participate in the UFC. That way we get the group bigger, and that's what we're trying to do here. We're just trying to get more members, isn't that right? Good luck, everyone. That's for the benefit of those of you that have tuned in late. Now back to Al Bigley and our regularly scheduled podcast in our original upright position. And anyway, that's when Davey said to the stewardess, no thanks, I've already had two. <laughs> oh, I shouldn't tell that. I don't know how he got away with that anyway. Okay, okay, we're wrapping up. Thanks, everyone. It's Al Bigley and Alan Williams. Reminding you to save the, the Texas, Texas Prairie, Prairie Chicken. chicken. Oh, I can't believe <laughs> You may have gotten away with it, but he got me again. I'm going to kill that lawyer. Walk it off. Walk it off. This episode of the Texas Prairie Chicken Home Companion Monkeys podcast was brought to you by Elon Musk, the man who made El Dorado to the moon a reality. <laughs>